Welcome to Art of the Kickstart, your source for crowdfunding campaign success. I'm your host, Roy Morjan, president of Command Partners, the top full-service crowdfunding marketing agency in the world. We have helped raise over $70 million for our clients since 2010. Each week, I'll interview a crowdfunding success story, an inspirational entrepreneur, or a business expert in order to help take your startup to the next level with crowdfunding. Art of the Kickstart is honored to be sponsored by The Gadget Flow, a product discovery platform that helps you discover, save, and buy awesome products. The Gadget Flow is the ultimate buyer's guide for cool luxury gadgets and creative gifts. To learn more, visit thegadgetflow.com. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to another edition of Art of the Kickstart. Today, I'm honored to be joined by Philip Winter with the Nebbia Shower. Philip, thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Thanks so much, Roy. So, Philip, you launched a campaign and absolutely crushed it. You raised over $3 million last year. Tell us about the product. Yeah, we, we launched on Kickstarter uh, in August of 2015. Uh, so, our company's called Nebbia, and we built a totally new shower system based on a better experience and a beautiful design, and it saves 70% of water. And so what we do is atomize water into millions of tiny droplets. It sort of creates like halfway between a steam shower and a regular shower and increases the surface area of water by 10 times. And so you get this really enveloping and immersive experience when you walk into it, and it's just as effective as a regular shower. So people say that the best ideas come from in the shower. So, so how, did this, how did this product start? Where's, what's the backstory? Well, logically, the idea came in the shower. No, no. <laughs> um, so one of my co-founders, Carlos, uh, used to run a large chain of gyms in Mexico City. They had about 20,000 people a day showering. Uh, and Mexico City is the third largest city in the world. It's 20 million people, and it's 8,000 feet above sea level. So you can imagine what it takes to pump all that water up there. And it was one of his biggest concerns and one of his highest costs. Um, and so together with his dad, who was a retired engineer and lifelong tinker. He's 84 at the time. Uh, he's now 89. They built the first few prototypes, got some good feedback. And that's how the early prototypes of Nebbia were birthed. Uh, and I met them around that time and they showed me what they were working on, invited me to their house for a shower and I loved it. And, and it sort of took on a life of its own from there. And about a year and a half ago, we decided to, to move to San Francisco, base the company here and really try and build a product and a company that's centered on a much better shower experience, you know, not necessarily the fact that it's low flow or that it uses less water. We're just trying to make it better in every sense. So we really try to hone in the experience because that's for foremost what people care about in a shower. We've put a lot of thought into the engineering and design. And so it, it slides up and down about 27 inches without any buttons and, you know, additional features like that. And sort of the, the big, the big picture sort of long-term goal is can we change how everybody uh, interacts with water in their daily lives? You know, and starting with a shower, you know, sort of this belief that you don't have to compromise necessarily to be more sustainable. No, it's impressive. So, you know, obviously you guys have done a ton of prep work. What did that look like leading up to the campaign? Yeah, I mean, the, the Kickstarter campaign was on our radar for about a year and a half before we launched. And we were actually going to do it like nine or 10 months beforehand, but we met our first investors uh, prior to having raised, you know, any investment. And we said, first we'll raise some money and then we'll launch the Kickstarter campaign. And it ended up being the right strategy because we had a lot of engineering work still to figure out and, and to build up some early buzz and get more trials. But by the time we had launched on Kickstarter, we'd had probably 
over 300 people to take a shower with Nebula, which is not an insignificant amount of people to get naked in a shower. Um, and we had done pilots at Google, at Apple, uh, multiple pilots at Google. We did them at Stanford and at Equinox Gyms also. And so we had a really good sense of what people think of the product, even though it was still a prototype stage. And then we got into Y Combinator. So we started Y Combinator in June. And we had a, a game plan at that point of four months to launch Kickstarter. And much to Y Combinator, the Y Combinator partners pushing, we condensed that timeline to one and a half months. And we worked as hard as I think any of us have ever worked in our lives. Had to get a working prototype, had to get a prototype that looks like the final thing. Obviously a video to build up buzz and relationships with the press and all of that. And it was, it was a really intense period. We had an immense sense of purpose and focus, but when we launched, we were sort of totally blown away by the reception. Um, I mean, within 24 hours, we reached, I think it was $800,000, almost a million dollars. And there was like, you know, it was coverage in the French, you know, front page of the French press and that sort of all over the world. It really, it really caught us by surprise. Yeah, it's quite impressive in terms of your launch and, you know, hitting funding goals significantly faster than any others that we had seen, you know, with that. Well, let's, let's jump back a little bit into the showers at Google and Apple. How did that happen? Yeah, you know, we just sort of, you know, networking and hustling. We talking to people, getting introductions. We, we found our way to, to folks who worked at those companies and, and opened up the doors. You know, when I moved here, we had a, our MVP prototype and I knew like three people. This was in August of 2014. And through that, I would basically just take coffee meetings with whoever would talk to me about their shower. And one in 10 led anywhere, but that one sort of made all the difference. And within six weeks, we had our first pilot. And, and that's when the floodgates really start to open. Once you have a little bit of momentum, you can sort of leverage that and get the next pilot and get the next pilot. And Google and Apple in particular are very receptive because they have, you know, at least from a facilities management standpoint, they have really clear initiatives for, you know, milestones they try and hit each year of reducing energy and water consumption. So it was, it was in that sense, it was easy to pique their interest once we talked to the right person. That's impressive. Yeah. I was just at a collision conference and everyone's talking about warm leads. And obviously, you know, the, the way to get into significant companies potentially can be through, you know, friends of friends or networks of, you know, investments. Um, so that's great. You guys were able to get into, into those places. How critical do you think that feedback was for the overall success of your campaign? Man, it was so important. More so than for our campaign, just to, to build a product that um, was worthwhile and that we knew that people were really excited about. You know, I mean, early on, we were using half as much water as we're using now. So we were using, um, you know, like 85% less than a regular shower. And there was a group, group of people who just loved it and they would come out of the, come out of the locker room, you know, we would sort of be standing there with a table, you know, waiting to take a survey or fill out a survey and, and just come out with like smile from, you know, year to year and talk about how excited they are. And they've already told their wife and they want the wife to come try it the next day. And then you sort of the next person comes and says, you know, they don't like it at all. And here are the reasons why. And you're like, well, didn't you just hear that? That person, they loved it. Like, how can you not like it? But asking those sort of probing questions, okay, what was it about it? And, and you learn it sometimes as much about the prototype or about the experience, about the presentation. You know, not everybody's familiar with what a prototype is, looks like. And then how important it is to prime the user. And so in our case, it was really important to tell them, hey, this is something that saves a lot of water and here's the way it does it and we're a startup and there's here's the technology that we're using and here's the innovation that primes people to to like the to like it and not just go into it with a uh, sort of closed mind so there was as much learning in those pilots around what to do to improve the product and there was a lot 
as there was in learning how to talk about it. And I think that was very important for when we drafted the campaign and we started thinking about how the communication was going to work in the emails and things like that. Yeah, I mean, one of the factors that we always want our campaigners to do is make sure that they are getting that pre-campaign feedback well before they launch the campaign to obviously engage the community that's out there, but also see if there are significant things that they might be overlooking in terms of factors of the function itself and the product that they're creating. You mentioned that Y Combinator kind of cracked the whip on you guys. What was your overall experience with them? And would you recommend it to other uh, potential startups? Oh, yeah, I absolutely would. You know, we we were obviously familiar with Y Combinator and had watched all of their How to Start a Startup classes, which were really good. And I sort of believed in this philosophy they had around just focus on early customers, a small group, and build a great product and grow it out from there. Well, when we applied, we were fortunate enough to get an interview. And in our interview, they like, it's a 10 minute interview. They stood up and took a shower during the interview. And so that, that was really cool to see if they got their hands really involved. We were a little bit skeptical because, you know, we don't have any software or electronics at this point. And so that's sort of, you know, more of the bread and butter of what YC is about. Um, and it ended up being one of the best decisions we've ever made. Uh, the impact that they had on just instilling a sense of focus at a really early stage and how you can, you can achieve so much when you have a very clear sense of like purpose and focus. And for us, the goal, you know, when you get into YC, they, you have to come up with a goal for the end of the three months. And ours was to launch our campaign like two weeks before it ended. And so it was very clear what we were chasing after. And, and it ended up being immensely helpful. One from a, like a company culture building perspective in terms of, uh, understanding some of those softer sides and, and just setting up a, a structure of, Hey, very clear goal of what we're doing and we got to go after it. We also got a lot of feedback from, from YC fellow batchmates and partners who would let us go to their houses and install them and give us feedback on their uh, experiences with Nebbia, you know, for a few days in their house. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, feedback, number one, number one. Um, so we saw, we kind of backtracked and looked a little bit at, you know, what you guys did in terms of the campaign. We saw that you guys got some great traction on Reddit. I mean, did you guys see a lot of conversions come from that? We did. I think that the sources that drove the most were on Crate, and there was an article in New York Times, there was an article on Wired, there was an article on Entrepreneur.com. There was, it was sort of crazy because it, it, it spread very quickly. You mentioned Reddit, also on Hacker News, and just a lot of sharing on, on Facebook. So yeah, it sort of came from all those channels. Yeah, Uncrate is, you know, always one of those channels that people want to buy immediately from that channel. So it's uh, always a beautiful thing when you get in, in their newsletter. You know, one of the challenges that we've seen with many campaigns that have overfunded can be, you know, challenges that they had no idea they were going to be facing. Um, how are you guys overcoming some of those challenges that might have come from you guys overfunding the campaign? Yeah, I wouldn't say in our case, I, I wouldn't say the challenges came from overfunding. Because that actually helped us. Um, we had we had more or less uh, like scenarios planned for like different sizes of like you know unit volumes, and so this is one of the ones that we had planned for. Um, you know, we we pre sold about ten thousand units on Kickstarter, and so that's what we're in the process of building right now. I think the bigger challenge was not knowing clearly all of the steps that were ahead, right? Um, and I think this is a this is the case for all Kickstarter companies, and that's what makes Kickstarter what it is, is that you're sort of stepping into the unknown, right? Companies that have launched and shipped products before usually don't do Kickstarter campaigns. They have sort of their own channels. But I think that there could be probably um, 
more clear communication around here are the things to expect after you have a campaign, right? And some of those things you just got to learn along the way. Learn as you go, right? I mean, that, those are some of the challenges that every campaign, you know, encounters, especially on the product side. So, Philip, now this gets us into our launch round where I rapid fire questions at you. You ready to go? Ready to go. So what inspired you to be an entrepreneur? I was working in Mexico at the time at a nonprofit called Endeavor, which does economic development work by helping entrepreneurs scale their companies. I really didn't have any interest in entrepreneurship per se when I got into that line of work. I wanted to work in the developing world and help uh, like promote growth in countries that really need it. And I got sort of thrust into this entrepreneurship world and spent a lot of time hanging out with founders, uh, learning about their companies, learning about what they're doing, uh, about what their day-to-day life is like, about the challenges they have, the things they learn. And I got just totally immersed in it and, you know, bit by a bug to say, hey, I want to do something on my own and create it. And there's something, there's like this deep intrinsic satisfaction and value when like something doesn't exist in the world, but you, you know, along with a group of people sort of imagine in your mind and then sketch it out and then start to create it in sort of progressive forms, you know, from prototype to final product. And that just like was super interesting to me. And then I was lucky to sort of find this opportunity and then, you know, jump on it. If you could offer a Nibia shower to any entrepreneur throughout history, who would, who would you offer it to? <laughs> Good question. I think I'd offer it to Yvonne Chouinard, who is the founder of Patagonia, the outdoor apparel and clothing company. He's one of my biggest uh, role models as an entrepreneur, somebody who started a company in an area that he was really passionate about, which is the outdoors. And it was a really sort of philosophically and worldview-driven company, and it remains that way 40 years later. He had a very clear sense of he wants to make this company so that he can continue to, to do the things that he loves to do and wants to attract people who, who love the outdoors because they're going to build better products that way. The business they built, the quality of their products, how true they stayed to their mission, even at this point when they're a six or seven hundred million dollar company, that is really cool. I think the culture that they built. Um, so we, we give a copy of Let My People Go Surfing, which is the title of his book, to all of our employees on their first day. Awesome. Yeah, he's been mentioned a few times on our podcast before. So if there were any other business books or life books that you'd recommend outside of his any, w- w- to our listeners, what would they be? And the first it would be Let My People Go Surfing. The second, it would be, uh, you know, I'm reading Creativity Inc. right now, uh, and I'm really enjoying that book, sort of, as we shift into, like, more of a, a process-oriented organization and less of a just hurry up and get whatever's most pressing done. That's providing a lot of sort of guidance into, okay, here, here are the things you need to think about and identify in order to keep a sort of creative and iterative uh, culture while still needing to build processes and systems. So I think that's one of the biggest challenges is scaling from a, Small, you know, you just got to get whatever's most urgent done to, okay, very clear milestones and processes without, you know, straying too far from the the driving principle of what a startup is, which is, you know, agile and and quick and nimble. Yeah, Creativity Inc. is one of my favorite recent books that I've written or read. (laughs) I wish I wrote it uh, by Ed Catmull. Uh, Definitely a, a quality read for everyone out there. Where do you see yourself in five years? Hopefully still running Nebula. And at a point where we have really started to make an impact and, you know, maybe not everybody's showering with a Nebbia, but everybody's showering either with a technology similar to Nebbia and it is known as sort of de facto. Um, you know, we, we really think it's sort of, it's sort of wild that you could shower with 20 or 25 gallons every day 
when you could be using just six or seven gallons a day and be getting as good or a better experience, right? When you really start to multiply that, that out by the number of people who bathe every day in this country and in the rest of the world, um, the impact there is on a really, really large scale. Uh, and so hopefully our example will inspire other folks to look at water and say, this is, you know, this is the most precious resource we've got and it's becoming ever scarcer. So we got we to gotta really do something here to be more innovative with it. No, absolutely. You guys are definitely doing it for the good. Um, last question on the fire round. What does the future of crowdfunding look to you? Oh, man. I think it's, I think it's tough to say. I get the sense that more and more companies are launching through crowdfunding campaigns and just like de facto, it's no longer consideration. And more and more of them are doing it on their self-posted platforms. I think in order to do that successfully, you have to really know what you're doing in terms of drawing traffic. Because in our case, a, a lot of the traffic, like a third of the traffic came from Kickstarter. And I think a lot of the interest was in this fact that it was a public campaign. And so success bred success, right? Because the fact that we hit a million dollars is sort of a story, another story for, for folks to tag onto and, and, and feel like they were a part of this massive momentum. And so I think there's going to be a difference between crowdfunding and pre-orders. Um, they're fundamentally different things. You know, when, when you pre-order, you don't really know that you're a part of something. When you crowdfund, or support a crowdfunding campaign, you feel like you're a part of this collective movement. And that has more power to it. On the other hand, there's, there's, there's tremendous advantages of doing it on your own you know, website as well. I, so I think there's going to be a very clear bifurcation between the, the Kickstarter, Indiegogo, sort of open crowdfunding campaigns, and people who do it on their own website. We've already seen it with companies like Lily and, you know, and some other ones. Yeah, absolutely. Traffic generation is a key component. Obviously, Kickstarter, the platform can certainly help leverage, you know, campaigns once they're up there. And as you mentioned, success breeds success. So well said. Um, well, Philip, that brings us to the end of the interview. Please tell our listeners uh, about Nebbia, where you are at, where people should go and why they should go buy one. Yeah, you guys should all check out Nebbia.com, N-E-B-I-A.com. You can watch our video there and learn a little bit more about the product. We're based in San Francisco. If any of you guys are interested, please email us, uh, support at nebia.com or tweet at us or message us on Facebook. We'd love having people come by the office uh, and take a shower. So we'd love to have you do that and get feedback uh, and then share it with folks. And you can expect to see it uh, at the end of this year, uh, shipping to our backers and then to the folks after that. Awesome. Philip, it's been a pleasure. As a backer of the Nebbia Shower myself, I'm truly looking forward to it. And folks, you hit it here, you heard it here. Philip's giving out free showers in San Francisco. So go hit them up and uh, check out their spot. But uh, Philip, I appreciate you joining us on the podcast. Everyone, thank you for tuning in. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com for all the show notes and links to everything that we talked about, as well as a full transcript. So Philip, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Roy. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Art of the Kickstart, the show about building a better business, world, and life with crowdfunding. If you've enjoyed today's episode, be sure to visit artofthekickstart.com and share it with your friends. If you need a more hands-on crowdfunding marketing strategy, please visit our website at commandpartners.com and request a quote. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next time.